We demystify what goes on behind the therapy room door. Join us on this voyage of discovery and co-creative conversations. This is the Therapy Show Behind Closed Doors podcast with Bob Cook and Jackie Jones. Welcome back to this next episode of the Therapy Show Behind Closed Doors with me, Jackie Jones, and the wonderful Bob Cook. And in this episode, we're going to be exploring a little bit more and delving deeper on contracts, client contracts. That's correct. So, yeah, really, really important. Too soon. Yes, yeah. I've been asked in the past um, to not have contracts with certain clients. Oh my God, I don't really understand that. I went to buy a car yesterday and I did buy it. Oh. A new car, uh, Toyota Corolla Touring Sports Car. Brand wow. new, top of the range. And uh, they gave me a contract. Yeah. And the contract had terms and a, I could not imagine buying a car without a contract. Yeah. And you know, in some ways, if you think about it in terms of counseling and psychotherapy, I think as an ethical part of this, I think that um, if you're going to provide services, then there should be a contract. Now, there's different types of contracts. So you've got administrative contracts or sometimes called business contracts, yeah. which is what we're talking about here, which we can talk about in a minute. Then there's treatment contracts, there's process contracts. So there's different types of contracts. Yeah. So if you're going to provide a service, I think you should have a contract talking about what you're offering, how much it costs, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, me too. So how could you not have a contract? I don't know. Do you mean a treatment contract or a business contract when you said that? Well, no. Well, it, I kind of group it together. I've got a, a, a contract for my um, psychotherapy, but then there's also information details name address doctors you, you know all that sort of stuff and some people you, I, I don't know particularly around the gp's contact and phone number as if i'm going to be randomly phoning up people's gps or well look let's start halves or whatever it's like well not unless i need to <laughs> yeah but you see if you're going to offer a service then you need some sort of I think business agreement, which spells out what you're going to do. Yeah. And so they know what you're going to do. So for example, how much it will cost. Yes. How many sessions you may offer. Now we all know in psychotherapy that might change, but at least we could spell out that we charge 50 pounds, 60 pounds or whatever it is for the hour. We do a review after five sessions or six sessions. Yeah. And then we may recontract or not. Um, you know, where the venue is. Do you come every week? Yeah. Who keeps the notes? You know, all the administrative things. Yeah. So is it strange to me that you know anybody wouldn't have one of those? Because if you go and buy things, that's what you get. If you so I think it's almost unethical not to. Yeah, I feel that way. 100%. It's kind of like, you know, it has my contact details on it also says about cancellation, you know, if they need to cancel, um, that if it's short notice, they'll probably still be charged for the session. 
mm. unless they can rebook in that week is what I say. So mm. it's kind of like where we both stand. So there's no gray areas. It also says in my contract about not coming under the influence of alcohol or drugs. Um, well, say a little bit about that then. That's a bit different. Well, so it isn't different, but it's interesting. Well, it's kind of that it is a, you know, a written contract that in order for them to come and see me, that they agree to not be under the influence of alcohol or drugs at the time of the session. And then yeah. we discuss that in the session. If I'm aware that they are drug taking in between sessions as well. So. So basically, if they turn up drunk, if, it, if they turn up drunk, you won't see them. No. If they turn up high on drugs you won't see them no and that's written into your contract yeah great now you do you get uh your clients to sign these contracts yes the administrative ones i'm talking yes. about yes yeah yeah great because some people just accept them verbally but i think it's good to have it uh, written and signed we have two i sign them and they sign them and then they have one and i have one because i need to uphold my side as well Oh. And in that contract, you have things like how long it will take. I know it's one hour a week or two hours a week. Yeah. But do you say like for the next 10 sessions or something? I usually say that this agreement is withheld for four sessions and then we will reassess. But I kind of recommend that they come for at least four sessions. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there's also something in there about not disappearing on me you know, the, the, the sessions are ended appropriately. If it's not for them, that's absolutely fine. They're not contracted to those four sessions, but that we end it appropriately if it's after two weeks or three weeks or whatever. What does appropriately mean? They, they just don't not come to a session and then don't get in contact with me. That, do you know what I mean? That we have an appropriate ending to it so that I'm not worried thinking that there's something happened to them. Oh, and... Okay. I can't get hold of them. So it's like a closure. Yeah, yeah. So this is the administrative one, really, you're talking about, what yes. they will get in terms of um, the service you offer. Yes, yeah. Okay. So, that, so that's that. Now, um, I, some people might put the bit I'm going to talk about next in a separate section. But then there's a whole bit in the contract about confidentiality or there should be yeah yeah of course you know therapy and counseling is built its reputation is built on confidentiality and what that means and so i think that needs to be in any contract and and whether therapists or counselors might have caveats to actually um around the confidentiality for example um yeah but I think confidentiality in our business is so key that there needs to be an agreement about that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've got it written in there. And then in the first session, I do say, you know, that it is confidential, providing there's nothing about them harming themselves or harming somebody else. Those are the two caveats that I have in mind. Well, how, how about this scenario then? Which Go on. Go on. So I'd like to know if this is in your contract or not. So um, I, as I say, for the last 25 years, I do the assessments and then I pass them on. And before I retired, I used to take some on myself, actually. Yeah. And I had this assessment and this guy walked in and he walked in like an Adonis from the gym. But he seemed to me like 
you know the archetypal gangster type with the sort of ne gold necklace around and he, anyway he looked very glamorous and uh, we went through the contract process and when we got to confidentiality he said I don't know if I can sign this I don't know if I can do this because I need to tell you something that I'm a drug smuggler oh, okay and that I said a little bit more about that because I wanted to find what that meant and he was still actively breaking the law of the land. So I said, well, you know, unless we can come to some agreement with him, we had to have more information. Yes, yeah. Of course, uh, I couldn't work with him. I would probably have done the same thing. <laughs> so is it in your contract? That's what I'm, I'm attempting to get. Is it in your contract, besides hurting other people and hurting themselves, that if they are going to break the law of the land then you you may or may not take them on what's written in your contract not written in my contract but it, it probably would be something that we would discuss on our first session mm -hmm. because you know it's an interesting wasn't confidentiality because things can actually uh, appear as you go along as a therapist and also there's a gray area yeah that can be grey areas. Yeah. I think there's ethical things that we, I was thinking of safeguarding particularly. Yeah, yeah. And what you have in your contract about safeguarding or not, or is that a separate issue for you? Um, I think, well, it, as far as safeguarding whom? Well, say for some example, you start and work, or somebody comes in and works on self-esteem issues, and they start talking about their family, and then they start talking about the fact they have a boyfriend who actually um, perhaps had a is on the sex offenders register, and then they talk about, well, you know, um, when I go out, I sometimes leave my young boy with them, and yeah. you start to get information which actually um, points you down a direction that that child's at risk. So then you're in a situation where, unless it's written into your contract or you've talked about it, you're in a situation where you may need to, uh, you've got information that you probably will have to disclose or at least talk about. Yeah. That's what I mean about how things unravel yes. in a confidentiality process. Yeah. But in my mind, that that's kind of covered by the, you know, if I feel that there's going to be harm to them or somebody else that's the caveat i would put that under that that you know yeah if i thought there was a child being put at risk then i would need to disclose that so that's a fairly wide covering for you yeah but it would be something i would discuss within the session i yeah, wouldn't just yeah. you need no. more information really wouldn't yes you? yeah yeah yeah, I think confidentiality is an interesting one because there has to be caveats, like you say, I think, to protect yourself. And also, sometimes people, when they when they will talk about these types of confidentialities, um, it's like, well, okay, you know, 10 years ago, I was in prison or this, that, the other. And it's like, I think we need more information. Yes. We can become black and white in those uh processes about contracting yeah yeah and you know if if there's a spent prison sentence then what does that say mm. it, it's a spent prison sentence we can't you know be constantly being punished 
for something that we've already served a sentence over. So again, yeah, yeah I, I think it's for their safety as well as mine. You know, I'm a I'm a, a single lone woman that works from home and sees various people. So you know, the, it's as much about my own safety as what it is their safety. Mm. I agree with you. So confidentiality is really key in any contracting. I think. Yeah. To be in it. Yeah. And I think being transparent about that is is important for the therapeutic relationship as well. But as you say, things unfold. The more we build trust, you know, or, or the more they build trust in us, that there will be certain things that maybe come out 12 months, two years down the line. Absolutely. So it's a big area of confidentiality, I think, in any contracting. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, when you do one, is it kind of like a standard one that you do across the board? Yeah, very similar to yours in a yeah. way. You know, hurting you know other people or breaking the law of the land or hurting themselves. Um, I mean, those are the breaches. And I also have um, supervisory. So yeah. the fact that I may, you know, break confidentiality if I need to take the person to supervision, for example. Yeah. And supervision is such an important thing because um, all therapists, I believe, should have supervision. Yes. Yeah. And to be able to take these things where you feel stuck or you feel anxious or you feel there's a grey area ethically or, or you want some clinical advice or, or, or to discuss the grey areas, what we're talking about. So I would have automatically that built in about supervision. Yeah. I wouldn't operate if I didn't have that was that as a caveat in the whole contracting procedure that I might break. But the other, I suppose the other thing about it is that I would talk to the clients often and say, well, I'm going to take this to supervision to talk about it more. So there's a sense of transparency. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, you, you touched on it earlier on about who keeps the records that we've got to kind of be covered by GDPR and all that sort of thing now as well for data protection and one thing and another. So it's, there's an awful lot that needs to be in that contract. Absolutely. And the other thing is for anybody listening or watching this and um, they may be part of their own regulating body like BACP, UKCP, National Counselling Association, and they all have their own uh, codes about how long we keep these notes. Yeah. So, for example, I suspect you might be part of BACP, which I think is that you have to keep notes for up to seven years. That might be in the TA movement, and it might actually be five years. In the UKCP, that's the United Kingdom Council Psychotherapy Regulating Body, it's seven years. Yeah. Seven years. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot. It, I think it's kind of this. I used to be a landlady and I used to have a pub. And you, for for tax purposes, you, we used to have to keep all the receipts and everything for seven years as well before. So I kind of just keep them all anyway. And surprisingly enough, you know, some clients have the appropriate ending and go off. And then three or four years down the line, they'll get back in touch and say, can I come back and see you? So it's nice to have you know the information the notes to hand so that you can refresh yourself about them yeah and i i, I don't know but i look back at my career and I, I i was thinking how many of my clients have asked for their notes yeah it's an interesting question 
and how many times we might have uh, been caught up in quite serious cases where the police or the courts have had asked for our notes. Yeah. So it is important to keep our notes. So, and I don't think has it ever happened once where 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 the police asked for my notes. And I think only two or three times have clients asked for uh, notes of their sessions, etc. So it hasn't happened a lot. But talking to my wife about this, she said it's happened many more times for her where clients have asked for notes because and they have an ethical uh, right to those i think yes yeah yeah it's same as gp records we can request all our gp records as well yeah so keeping notes is a an important thing so i i i when i talk about contracts again or i often talk about you know that we keep notes and because i think really in all contracting there needs to be a level of transparency yeah yeah I, I've also got, I'm trying to think as you're talking, I'm going through my contract thinking what's in there. There's also the hours of work and whether I do an emergency out of hours service or what to do, you know, if there is an emergency out of hours and things like that that's also in there. Yeah. 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 So it isn't simply like a client comes to you and says, oh, will you take me off for therapy because I've been recommended by your XXX and I say yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's, 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 that's some people could say it was a verbal contract and maybe it is as a face yeah. at a very simple level but we need to have much more i believe detailed contracts and transparency yeah. with our clients and also we have to uh, have a lot of caveats in these and detail in these contracts and i think they're better off the administrative ones and the business ones signed actually yes yeah, yeah. now there'll be many many people listening to this will probably say well, you know, my um, therapist mentioned a little bit of alcohol or drugs, but that was about all we did. So people have different things, but I certainly think in most trainings in the BACP, UKCP, transaction analysis world, or the trainings you were involved with and I was, um, they'd be talking about contracts the same way we're talking about them. Yeah, yeah. I can remember in our training when we started to to look at contracting, it frightened the living daylights out of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. L literally, when you're talking about caveats and the things that can happen, and that the police can call them up, and that all this sort of stuff, it we, I, it was it felt very overwhelming in the early days. Yeah, I think it is because, but in terms of protection, yeah, or yourself and the client, yeah, more detail and transparency in the contract making especially the administrative and ethical contract making yeah i think better yeah yeah it's, it's vitally important it, it covers everybody concerned yeah. yeah i don't have it anywhere about my insurance oh i'm thinking whether that should actually be put in there nobody's ever asked me for my qualification or whether I'm actually insured to practice or anything, which is interesting. You obviously have that level of gravitas, Jackie. The people I don't know. No, you know, they, they just think, oh, well, obviously she's got that level of gravitas. We just assume, but you know, this is interesting what you've just said there. Uh, let's go on to the insurance. I think you, I think it is something to reflect on. Um, and I, I think it is important to mention it because people then know um, I was thinking in terms of accountability. Yeah. And so I think it's important for you to say that. So I think I would put in contracts. Yep. And 
it is interesting the other thing you just talked about which is like how often and you said never in your life um where people have said you know oh, what's your qualifications then so that's really interesting i think in my clinical life which is 38 years probably about two or three yeah people don't necessarily why is that why why i don't know you see i'm not sure it's a I'm, well, I, I was going to say, I'm not sure it's a good thing. And then I'll answer the question I think you said, or you don't know why. I'll tell you why I think. It's I think that people are so much discomfort in their lives, they want to um, get a better life, to have a more healthy life, to be able to talk about things. Um, they probably don't even think about it. And secondly, they come from what I call the Father Christmas position. Yeah. In other words, they project onto the therapist or counsellor that they're going to solve every problems and put them right, and they, they they don't think to even ask that question. However, I think it is an important question. Yeah, yeah, very. But as you were talking again, I was just thinking, you know, if I take my car to the garage, I don't ask the mechanic if he's qualified. I just presume because he's got. A, a, you know a bricks and mortar building with garage on it that he actually is qualified but i don't actually know yeah but you probably expect him to be expertised that's right be an expert enough to be to make sure your car works in the way that you want it to work when you leave oh, the garage yeah yeah you know, i say to him, <laughs> could you tell me which mechanical school you were trained in and I, I let, let, please show me your piece of paper saying I might start doing that, Bob. Can I? Are you qualified to touch my brakes? As I was saying it, you know that people don't ask to see my qualification. I was thinking, why well, don't often ask to see anybody else's? It's kind of like a standard thing. I don't know. If you go to your doctors, or you went to an acupuncture, or you went to a car practitioner, where you have your physical ailments looked at, usually you will see. But you probably perhaps not in the. No, I'm not sure on the doctors because they bother. Not necessarily their rooms, are they? But you usually see something over the top, yeah. Uh, you know, like um, a certificate or something, yeah. Say or a diploma or or somewhere in that room. I'm not sure the GPs though, because they often borrow the rooms. It isn't their room, so they they don't take a portable <laughs> picture of their qualifications <laughs> around. Maybe they should have it on their phone so they can show it people. Having said that, I do have my qualification from the Manchester Institute of Psychotherapy uh, in a frame uh, on my wall. And yeah. I also put my insurance documents every, you know, uh, every time I get a new one, that's up there as well. So maybe they see it and that's why they don't ask. I'm not sure. I think it's good practice. And it really goes back to the last episode we were talking about. Or the, I don't know how many episodes I've actually now. Maybe it's the last two or three, four. When we were talking about you know, uh, how do and where do clients get therapist names from? And yeah. I was saying, you were saying that people put, you know, ther therapists near their area into Google. So yeah. they can go to the website and read all about that before they actually ring up. And often they come through recommendation. Yeah. So they've probably gone to the website, read about them, you know, first. Yeah. Yeah, that might be one of the questions. One of the, your questions answered. You know, how come they've not asked you? Because they've yeah. read about you first. Well, that's it. Yeah, and Google reviews are wonderful. 
five star reviews or whatever. Yeah. Especially you, Jackie, especially for you, dear. Well, we've got we've got to jump on board with all this Google business things and everything now, aren't we? Because again, you know, word of mouth is brilliant, but the, you can't see more than one member in a family, dependent on the type of therapy that you're doing because of a conflict in interest. And, you know, if you're seeing one person in a hairdressing shop, it's highly unlikely that you can see somebody else because of a conflict in interest. So y- your net needs to be spread wider than just the village that you live in, which I think we've we've discussed, yeah. So advertising online, you know, the ethics of that. Well, this isn't a podcast on ethics. We could go on forever. You're probably you're right. But let's get, let's should we move on to another type of contract, which I think is really important, and that's what I would call the treatment contract. So we've done the administrative, ethical, business contracts we've talked yeah. about. So the other bit is like what in TA or many disciplines they would call treatment contracts, or could just really say in many words, about uh, what's the goal and outcomes, um, you know, of the therapy. So somebody comes and says they are feeling down and they want to feel better about themselves. You may talk about the outcome being that they want to be relaxed, content and more in charge of their life. So that will form the basis of the treatment contract. Yeah. Is that how you look at it? Yes. I I have a little box as well. You know, what are you hoping to get out of therapy? And and a lot of people put to be happy. And then what do you say? Come on, when they say that, what do you say? Well, I usually, one of the first things I say is how will you know when you get there? You know, what what's yeah. the benchmark to just say, I want to be happy. They can be happy on a Monday and then pretty miserable on the Tuesday. So does that mean it's worked or not? I'm not sure. <laughs> so we, we, we might start off with that, but then we need to be a little bit more specific, maybe. So in your contract making, then what you're talking about, somebody comes in and says, I'd like to be happy, you'd say, well, you could say, what does happy mean to you? Yeah. You just visualise it for you. Or you could say, you could do what you have just said. But what you're really talking about is that you move into a level of specificity and detail. Yeah. 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 And lots of people do come and, I, 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 and say, you know, I'm not quite sure what I want really, but I know that I feel flat. Yes. Or they might come and say, they, get, they might get more specific, but a lot of them, of course, what they come with doesn't actually mean it's what they want no 100 percent. or what you end up discussing in the sessions or yeah yeah the contracting can be uh achieved in one session or it may be revisited again and the contract changed later on yeah but basically for me you know when somebody comes right at the beginning then it's more about the focus on what the goals are, what the outcomes are, what they want to achieve, what they're going to get for their money in some ways. Yes, yeah, yeah. And for me, I think it's important that I do review it every so often. We will have a session where we're just recapping, you know, where where we were, where we are now, and are we still on the right path, or is do you want to renegotiate and, and look at different goals? Mm, mm. So somebody comes along and says, I want to be happy. And you say, I forget what you said. But How will I know when you get there? What, what yeah. will I see? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So you have a bit more specificity and a bit more detail. And then do you get them to just uh, verbalize that contract or do you get them to sign that contract or is it more a verbal discussion? Probably more a verbal discussion, but I make notes on it so that it's kind of like this is this is why they came and this is what they're hoping to get out of it so that we can go back and revisit it. So, yeah. I mean, just before I came on, or was it a bit earlier on, I said to Steph, you know, when you first went to therapy, did you have a contract? And she said, no, we just, I just went along because I was in training and I had to go and have psychotherapy because I was in training every week, trained to be a psychotherapist. So they didn't really have a contract. For me, one of the things I think about contracts is that they provide and encourage autonomy. Yeah. In other words, they provide somebody uh, the reflection to take charge of their own life, to have some sense of autonomy and to be able to imagine what they can achieve. Because if you don't know where you're going, you'll either get lost or you might never come back again. So... Uh, I think to actually have a goal and outcome and to visualize and actually stated what that is. So for example, in your case, somebody comes in and says they want to be happy and you say, what does that mean? Or whatever, when you say, as you go down the levels of specificity, I think it's really good to get to whatever the goal is. So if they say, I um, really, what I mean is a level of contentment and even after more exploration, you find out what that means and ask them to visualize that or even draw it they know or have a sense of goal where they're aiming at yeah rather than going around without without any sense at all yeah yeah because a lot of the words that we use again it's what they take from that word and what i take from that word so it's about you know clarity and and clarifying what they actually mean you know if they come in and say something like I want to be more responsible in my relationship what I see as being responsible in a relationship is probably completely different to what they do absolutely so we need to clarify the words that are used and what sorry your phone is going off you're making podcasts did you have a contract with your whoever it's not good it's not i'll phone you between four and half past and what happens if they do you know this is exactly what happens in contracts yes in a session my phone wouldn't be on um so yeah it's it's about also understanding that if you sign a contract it's not because some contracts it's written in stone but for me a psychotherapy contract is one that can be adapted and changed as I said this this is the starting point but we can you know reassess it and find out where we are every four weeks if that's what we want to do yeah so I like that and I I like contracts also as I said before is because they encourage autonomy yeah Uh, and in TA so I know I'm using TA language here transaction analysis language but Eric Byrne who was the originator of transaction analysis he said that, and I really like this, is that these contracts, these psychological contracts, uh, if you want to talk about that way, or treatment contracts, need to, at least at the beginning, as much as possible, come from an adult place. And adult means 
in the here and now and not from your younger self yeah which could be regressive and therefore adapted yeah so I said to have an adult to adult agreement at the beginning about where you're heading what the goals and the outcomes are I think is really important in terms of a sort of psychological contract or at least a contract about your psychological um road ahead yeah yeah I think that's a really valid point you know the the, the having enough adult capacity to you know to discuss and to make that contract is is really important as well and the autonomy like you said yeah because a lot of people do come in with with you know the thoughts of you will fix me you know i just turn up every week and you sort me out <laughs> and there that's a parent child process dialogue in yep. terms again but in normal language it's it's not fostering autonomy yeah in fact it's if you accept that position and go along with that dialogue you're fostering either or you could be fostering infantilization mm. where a person never grows up yeah which is very interesting and i'm sure at some point down the line we will talk about reparenting and how that plays out in the therapy room as as well as in yeah how long i want to say something else in this contract and have i got a few more minutes a couple of minutes and then we need to finish very yeah. very quickly i do want to say this well two things one in a contracting process i always look at what would stop them achieving what they want so okay. i always look at what i call the sabotage process yeah in, in a process in other words okay you know you wouldn't be coming here if you could resolve this yourself so how come you're here and what do you do do you know how you might sabotage yourself being content for example yeah. that, that is the key question that so, is really important yeah because by asking that you're going to get to the psychological reasons or the processes under the adult to adult contract yeah may stop themselves because they would have been there as i said they wouldn't come to see you if in some ways yeah. they didn't sabotage themselves now they may not know the answer to that and that's why i might say okay well let's take what i call an exploring contract just to look at how you might sabotage yourself and then we can look at what you need to do in order that you don't sabotage yourself yeah and then i'll say we'll come back in four weeks time and we'll firm a harder contract up but let's just look at how you might stop yourself achieving what you want because otherwise you wouldn't be coming through this door yeah and it just brings it all to the front that they can then even just explore that outside of the therapy room what what why what would i do if i was sabotaging myself how do i sabotage myself but it is something that a lot of us don't think about no, and that's why we go to therapists yeah. in some ways to explore that. Now, if the therapist just goes ahead with this sort of parent-child dialogue about doing it for the other person, the other person stays often quite infantilized and never looks at how they may sabotage their own process. Yeah. So part of a therapist, I believe therapists need to spend quite a long time looking at that sabotage process or exploring it before they finalize the contract and it may take two three four sessions to do it then they can come back yeah and get the adult to adult contract yeah which again you know i suppose looking at it i'd say 
99% of my contracts would be exploratory for the first month, which is why I kind of say, you know, we agree to see each other for four weeks and then we'll regroup and see where we go from here because there's an awful lot of exploration in, in that first four weeks. Absolutely. And you, in fact, you, get, you can explore it, come back, get the adult, adult contract to go back into the exploration in depth. Yeah. So a lot of what we do in therapy in the early stages is actually look at the sabotage process of how come we can't achieve what we want in our own lives. Yeah. And sabotage is such a big area because even if we go through that exploratory process, you know, it, it's a continuous thing as we're changing parts of ourselves or looking at changing parts of ourselves there's probably another sabotage waiting for you to fall into it's it's a constant in my experience yeah it's because different parts of the self are a conflict between different parts of the self yeah so when somebody comes and says i'd like to be happy or whatever it is they they are coming from a part of their self which which they might think well this is clear what i want but there's another part of the self which is sabotaging themselves being happy. And yeah. what all that is about, I think, needs exploring before we firm up the contract. Yeah. So, brilliant. So that's my bit on contracting. I could, I wish there was another podcast, number two on contracting, because I haven't got onto process contracts yet. We can um, do process contracts next in the next episode, Bob. Okay, because I want to talk about different other types of contracts. So I'm a contracting person. I believe That's in fine. contracts. We, it's important. It's important, I think. Contracting is a really important part of it. Yeah, and also in the next time, next podcast, I want to talk about disadvantages of contracting because there's other disciplines, other psychotherapy disciplines who do not believe in contracting. Yeah, shockingly. I'd like to so talk about that. In the next one, that's what we'll talk about. The negative shut, side shut, of contract. Shut me up, Jackie, otherwise we'll go over the 29 minutes. Right, shush, go away. Well, I shall see you in the next episode, Bob. See you in the next one. Bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Therapy Show, Behind Closed Doors podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. We'll be back next week with another episode.